Find in your Bibles Acts chapter 13. That's our text for today. The one you brought, the one in front of you, the one on your phone. The one you'll look at, that's the one you need to pick. Acts chapter 13. Well, remember, Acts is a book of transition. We were introduced to the Holy Spirit in His ministry. We saw the formation of the church, the birth of the church. We've seen the growth of the church. And today we're going to see another brand new thing. Up until this point, uh, the word missionary would never have been used. And, and today we're going to see the growth of the church and, and the strength of the church now turning to missions. And I want you to have that in mind. We're going to talk a lot about missionaries and missions today. Now what I want to do, we're going to do the entire chapter today, but to do the entire chapter, I can't read the entire chapter, it's 52 verses long. So I want to read the first 12 verses, and then I'm going to read from 42 to 52, the last 10 verses. Your assignment during the week will be to read the middle. We're going to refer to it in our sermon, but you're going to read that part on your own. I want to read verse 1 through 12 and 42 through 52, so let's look at that together. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant on the of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Ilimus, and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, I want to mention a couple things. Um, well, really just one thing, that last verse that I read. We're not going to really talk about it a lot, but I, I want to point out. It says, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Not because of what he saw, okay, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So again, we see the same pattern, the miracle verifying the message. The message changed his heart. The message brought him to the Lord, 
the miracle verified the messenger. I just wanted to point that out. Not going to talk about that a lot. Let's go to verse 42. This is um, after a long sermon, okay? As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot going on here. We... if. If you read the part that we passed over, that's, that's the sermon that they gave in the second town. It's the, the sermon that caused this reaction. So we see a little bit here. Let's, let's just create an outline really fast in our notes. Uh, verse 1 through 3, we see missionaries from Antioch are selected from among their leaders. Now missionaries, this is new, which is no surprise for the book of Acts. There's new things being introduced by God, not by the author, but by God, missionaries are being sent out, what we would call missionaries. This is brand new. But they came from among the leaders. All right, they came from among the leaders. Uh, we're going to go through the outline pretty quickly, then we'll come back and hit some of these things. Verse 4 through 12, the next section, Barnabas and Paul minister on Cyprus. They teach in synagogues, they confront a false prophet, and they witness to a government official. We, we read about that. 13 through 48, the part we, we, we skipped today. It says, Paul preaches to the Jews and God-fearers. Remember that term, God-fearers, were Gentiles who believed in the Jewish God, but did not fully convert because it would have meant a lot of things. It would have meant, meant obeying the kosher laws, who they could eat with, what houses they could go into, um, all that kind of stuff. It would also mean a change in nationality, and it would also mean being circumcised. So there was a lot of things against them fully converting to Judaism. But they did recognize the God of the Jews as the true God. Those were the God-fearers. Okay? So Paul preached the Jews and the God-fearers in Pisidian Antioch. That's a different Antioch. Sometimes it's called Syrian Antioch. All right? Now, those who believed rallied around Paul and Barnabas. We saw that in the, the text that we read. It's also in the part we skipped. They rallied around them. They, they rejoiced. They were encouraged. They wanted to hear more. But those who did not believe rallied against Paul and Barnabas. They, they, they took to stirring up controversy, to telling lies, 
They, they were contradicting this kind of stuff. And then 49 to 52, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. This is the phrase that keeps coming up. The word of the Lord spread. So nothing that happened slowed down God's work. It actually uh, increased it. It was according to God's plan. So the good and the bad, according to God's plan. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. The Jewish leaders incited Gentile women and city leaders against Paul and Barnabas. So the, the Jewish people who were living in a Gentile city went to the prominent women and men of the city, the God-fearing women, and they said, hey, you're a God-fearing woman, you can't be a part of this. They, they told their lies, they did their manipulating, and they incited them so that the local people turned against uh, Barnabas and Saul, or Paul. So they incited, the Jewish leaders incited people against them. And then Paul and Barnabas left for Iconium with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to approach it like this. What are some of the interesting things we need to stop and notice? Okay, so in your notes, interesting things to take note of. Number one, in verse 2, it's Barnabas and Saul. But in verse 13, it's Paul and his companions. And then in verse 42, it's Paul and Barnabas. Now, we've mentioned this before, but this is a great place. It's fully illustrated. Barnabas mentored Saul. Barnabas took him to the apostles, said, listen to his testimony. He's a real deal. He came in, um, shared his testimony. They accepted him. The Jewish people did not accept him. They were afraid of him. He went home. Then when Barnabas had a ministry for Paul, he went and got Saul, brought him back to Antioch. They served together for a year. Then they took an offering to Jerusalem. Then they went back to Antioch. Okay? So, in this process, Barnabas was mentoring Saul, but then by verse 13, it's Paul and his companions. So we actually see the transition between Barnabas being the lead guy, uh, being in charge of things, to, to Saul taking over. Okay, Saul becomes the, the main person, and we actually transition to start calling him Paul. It's in this passage that we stop reading the name Saul, and we start reading the name Paul. And then in verse 42, it goes even farther, and now the former leader is now one of the um, followers. It's Paul and Barnabas. From now on, Paul is in charge. Paul's calling the shots. Eventually, they'll separate and go into two different ministries, but for now, this is how it is. So why is this important? Why, why do we care about this? Well, it, it shows a good pattern of development, for one thing. It shows a good pattern. I have pastor friends who are retiring and and some of them retire by announcing their retirement date, preaching up till that Sunday, walking out the door and leaving the church to find a new pastor. That process also often leads to discord, conflict, um, uh, a struggle, and maybe the succession of two or three pastors in the process until one comes in who, who kind of fits the bill and, and connects with the church. Sometimes the church has to change before the pastor can be accepted. Sometimes the pastor has to change so the church will accept him. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a process. I have some other friends who, at reaching retirement age, looked for their replacement, brought them into the church, worked with them side by side, over the course of time changed roles so that the, 
the replacement pastor could easily transition into be the lead pastor, while the lead pastor transitioned into a lesser role, and then eventually could retire and move or retire and stay in the church because he had a good relationship with the new pastor. This is the example of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas went and got Saul, trained him, taught him, mentored him, and then Saul rose to a level that Barnabas could step back and be his supporter, and Saul could be in charge, and his name was changed to Paul. So this is a healthy transition, and and it's even a good transition in lots of areas. This is exactly what I'm trying to do with Jacob in the youth group. Um, I just didn't quit and say, Jacob, you're in charge. We're taking a year to two years to train Jacob, to show him how to do things, how to run things. He's doing a good job. And eventually, Jacob will be in charge of youth group, and I may or may not be a leader. Kind of looking forward to just being a leader. I'm also looking forward to have other opportunities. But we can do this, and we see this as an example. Back to your notes. Uh, Why is this important? A... Well, verse 9 lets us know that Saul is also called Paul. We wouldn't know it without verse 9. We would have thought it was two guys. Now we know the difference. Why did he change his name? Well, number one, his name change represents a change in his identity. He was a Pharisee. He was against the Messiah. He was actively pursuing Christians to kill them. Then he got saved. Then now he's a leader in this new movement known as Christians now. It represents a change in his identity. His name also helps separate him from his reputation. You know, this is several years later, and, and, and Saul comes into town, and people still remember him as Saul. And if he comes in and says, yeah, I used to be Saul, now I'm Paul. My name has changed, my identity has changed, who I'm working for has changed. That's going to be a lot easier for people to deal with and accept. Takes the sting out of it a little bit. So that's why his name changed. Why else do we care about this? B, the reversal of order shows us the progression of Saul to Paul and also Paul's progression from student to teacher and from disciple to leader. That's the progression we want to see. We want to see students becoming teachers. We want to see disciples becoming leaders. Not, not all disciples will replace their leader, But all disciples should become leaders. Not all students will replace their teacher, but all students should become teachers. So in their new relationship, Barnabas was the mentor and the encourager. Paul was the preacher and the leader. That was really interesting, worth our time. But number two, I want to tell you Paul's presentation of the gospel. This is in the portion we skipped. It's a very long portion, and it's written to the Jewish people. It's, it's sort of hard to read. It takes a while. But I wanted it to show you like this because I want it in a nutshell. I want you to see that the gospel presented by Paul is the same gospel we present today. So in verse 23, he starts with, Jesus is the promised Messiah. We would use the word Savior. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Our gospel presentation should always start with who Jesus is. Jesus isn't something we slip in at the end before they realize who we're talking about. We start with Jesus. Jesus is the promised Messiah. In verse 28, he proclaims Jesus was innocent. He he was crucified with no charge. The charges were false charges. He was an innocent man crucified. We take that a little farther. We talk about he was a sinless man who was crucified. 
A sinless man crucified for us. That's actually verse 29. Jesus was crucified as prophesied in Scripture. It happened just like it was planned by God and written down in the Old Testament. So Jesus, Jesus is a Messiah. He was innocent, though died. He was crucified. We would also mention here that he was crucified as a sacrifice, as the atoning sacrifice. Verse 30 says God raised him from the dead. And since Jesus is God, I like to throw in there that Jesus raised himself from the dead. In raising himself from the dead, he proved he has power over sin and death. And he has the power to provide a resurrection for the rest of us. Verse 38, through Jesus, you, this is Paul talking to them, you may have forgiveness of sin. Through Jesus, you may have forgiveness of sin. We proclaim the same message. It's through Jesus that our sins can be forgiven. They knew what the penalty of sin was. We probably have to explain that. The penalty of sin is death. In some situations, we need to explain what sin is. But verse 39, he said, Those who believe in Jesus as a Messiah will be justified. We might use the word saved. And you cannot be saved by obeying the law. We would use the word works. There's nothing we can do to get saved. There's nothing we can do to stay saved. Our salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, believing He is our Savior, and we are sustained by His power, not ours. So we have the gospel. Paul presented the gospel. It's the same gospel we present. The gospel has not changed. We might have a couple words that, that fit our context better or fit our language better, but the gospel hasn't changed. And, and Paul presented the gospel. He presented it to the Jews, and he presented it to the God-fearing Jews, and eventually he would present this same message to the Gentiles. So it, it doesn't matter who we're talking to. We might talk in a different context. We may be talking to children or versus adults. We may be talking to Americans versus foreigners. We may be talking to younger people versus older people. It doesn't matter who it is or what it is. The gospel stays the same. Our presentation might look a little different. But the gospel's the same. And that was clearly portrayed in this passage. And when you read it, look for those things. Look for the progression of thought that Paul takes them through. But number three is, is the thing I think is probably the most relevant in this chapter. We're introduced to the missionary. And all of a sudden, we have a new group of people that we've never had before. There, there were not missionaries in the Old Testament. There were prophets who spoke to the people, and they actually spoke to foreign nations as well, although they weren't listening. But we never had anyone who was sent by God to someone else. I mean, we had Jonah who went, but he was sent to prophesy against Nineveh. These, these folks are sent to share the gospel. This is a brand new thing. And so... I want to identify from this passage the profile of a missionary. What does a missionary look like? I want you to think about our missionaries. Do our missionaries fit this profile? Do the people that we support financially and with our prayers, do they fit this profile? And I want you to think about future missionaries. Those who, those who might become missionaries. What, what profile do they need to fit? What path do they need to follow? And so let's look at this. A, a missionary is first developed into a leader in his or her church. So I want to go back to verse 1 and 2. It says, now in the church, and I'll stop right there because there's something not said here that was obvious to them but not to us. 
something not said is that between uh, chapter 12, verse 25, and chapter 13, verse 1, another 17 years have passed. Okay, another 17 years have passed. They went back to Antioch. They grew the church there. They developed the leaders. So why is that important? Well, this list of people here were not saved last week. They were not saved last month or even last year. These people were brought up probably by Barnabas. Pro Barnabas was probably the person who brought them all to this level. It says, now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. We might use the term uh, pastors and elders. So, so think in those terms. These were the leaders of the church. There's Barnabas. His name's first because he was the head leader. He was really the first one, and he has trained up the others. Then we have Simeon, Lucius, Menaean. And the interesting thing about Menaean, it says he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And I wondered what that meant. Brought up. Did he travel with him? Was he raised with him? As it turns out, it means he was raised with him. So we have someone that was raised in a royal house. I was not able to find out if he was related or just raised with him, but he was raised in the royal house. So this is someone who converted not just as a Gentile, but as a pagan worshiping Gentile uh, with, with, you know, with power and wealth. He is one of the leaders in this church. And then Saul. Why is Saul listed last? Because Saul's the one conveying the information. This is Paul having a little bit of humility, saying Barnabas is the number one guy, here's the other guys, and I'm one of them too. So we have this list of people. This is uh, one, two, three, four, five, five guys, five guys that have been raised up and are the leaders of the church. So five people who are literally representing God leading the church. That's important, okay? So a missionary is first developed into a leader in a church, then is called to go serve somewhere else, or to serve elsewhere. The call is in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. If only it happened this easily today. Right? If only we still lived in this period of time where the Holy Spirit spoke in sentences and said, I'll take him and him, and I have a place for them to go. It's not that simple anymore. It's much more subtle. I think the message is still clear. It was a very clear message in my heart and my mind that I was supposed to be a pastor. Very clear message I was supposed to come here. Most missionaries have a very clear message. It may have taken years to develop. It may have taken months to develop. It may have been a dramatic thing, but God let them know, I'm calling you to be a missionary. So a missionary is first developed in the church and then is called to go and serve elsewhere. One in your notes, it's been about 17 years from the end of chapter 12. During that 17 years, they were discipled, they were prepared, they were developed, and, and they practiced their ministry. I, what I want you to see here is that even the very first missionaries weren't called out of the blue. They, they weren't new converts. They, they were mature believers serving in the church. They had 17 years of being discipled by Barnabas. And I'm sure Paul had a part in that as well. Paul would have been 
um, would have been number two at this point in time. So Barnabas, number two, has mentored uh, a five-member leadership team. And number three, he goes hand in hand. God took from this team their two best men. He took their two best men to leave and become missionaries. You know, in our way of thinking, we have our leader leaders, and then we develop leaders from among the group. And when they're ready, we send them out. We send them out to start something new. But God took the leader leaders. He took Barnabas and Saul. He said, I want those two. The rest of you, you've been serving here for any number of years. Could have been five years, 10 years, 15 years. Could have been all 17 years. You guys are ready to take over here. I'm taking your your top two guys and I'm sending them out because I have a job for them that I I need their skill set. I'm taking them. And that can be kind of scary. We're going to raise up leaders and then we're going to send them somewhere else. We're going to let God take them. And I was thinking about this, and, and, and I, I thought, man, that's kind of hard to swallow. And then I look back, and I think about what God has been doing in, very, in various people's lives. I can look back at my own career, if you will. I wanted to be the youth pastor in a church for 50 years. That may sound crazy, but in my 20-year-old brain, that was doable, and it was a goal. And when I had to switch churches the first time, that was a blow to my plan and my ego. Uh, I was not fully employed. I was part-time, and and a change needed to happen. And then I went to a full-time position, and I thought, oh, good. God has brought me to a full-time position. This is where I will be for the rest of my life. I need to settle in, make roots. This is it. And almost 10 years later, it was time to move again. Not because I wanted to. Not because I had any desire to. Circumstances dictated it. And I wind up in Washington. And I'm at a church in Washington. I'm I'm there almost 10 years, still youth pastor. And I think, this is it. This is the last stop. But now I'm like, okay, I've moved twice after I said it's the last stop. I'm not going to say it's the last stop this time because maybe when I say it's the last stop, God says, well, you haven't learned your lesson yet. You're going to have to move. And so I don't say that. But then the stir comes. This time it's God saying, I'm going to move you. The circumstances don't dictate it. You don't have to go anywhere, but I'm moving you. And I look back and I realize that every step along the way was preparation and training. One prepared me for the next. The second prepared me for the third. The third prepared me for here. I'm still hoping and praying that I, this is it. I'm putting in roots. I'm, I'm planting grass. I'm mowing it. I don't want to move. I don't want to go anywhere. God, please let me stay here. I want to get old here. But who knows? You know, you got to be open for what God's doing. Sometimes God moves people around. Sometimes he takes the good ones. Because they've been trained 17 years under Barnabas and Saul. That's good training. There was probably nothing for these other guys to do except move up in their church. And Paul and Barnabas, they could move. They had already moved around a little bit. So he took the best too. Sometimes that's how God works. Sometimes the missionary that God calls from the church is the most promising young adult or young family that is present. And when God calls that family, we don't bemoan them. We rejoice in them. Sometimes God calls the the family that's been a, a stable, staple part of the church for a good number of years. And he takes them to a new place or to a new country. He sends them on their next mission. And we shouldn't stand in the way. 
We should rejoice in that and pray that God takes them where he wants them to be and puts them where he wants them to be to do what he wants them to do. So missionaries are first developed into a leader. Missionaries should never leave home unless they're already serving. They should leave a gap when they leave because they've been serving and now someone else has to step in. Okay? B, missionaries go where the Holy Spirit takes them. It's been really interesting to follow uh, the family that's trying to get to Saudi Arabia. They, they were going to go here for language school. Then they were going to go there for language school. Then they're staying here for language school. Now they're going somewhere else. Because every time they're praying, God, send us where you want us to go. And, and, and they say, we're going to pursue this until you stop it. And God stops it. Now, we can sit back and go, well, they're not listening very well. Or whatever. But it may be exactly part of God's plan. God may be saying, are you willing to go here? Well, how, how about here? Are you willing to go here? How about here? Are you willing to go here? I don't know how many missionaries i've heard their testimony and they planned to go to this mission field and then when it was time to raise their support and go god sent them somewhere else and and the somewhere else was where they spent their life i've heard that many many times we go where the holy spirit takes them and you know this applies to pastors too i I believe god the holy spirit brought me here so in verse 4 they were called in verse 52 they were filled meaning that they were following the lead of the Holy Spirit. That's what missionaries do. C, missionaries speak of God wherever they have opportunity. So in verse 5, they spoke in a synagogue. In verse 7 and verse 12, they spoke to a government official. And then in verse 15, they were back in the synagogue. This time they were invited to speak. So missionaries speak where they're allowed to speak. They go wherever they have an opportunity. They, they, they go even where it's dangerous. For Christians to go to a synagogue and speak about the Messiah was a dangerous thing. For Christians to go before the proconsul and talk about Jesus as the Messiah was a dangerous thing. Think to what's happened to others who did that. John the Baptist lost his head. Stephen was stoned. James was beheaded as well. So missionaries speak of God wherever they have an opportunity. They don't shy away from it. So a, a missionary needs to be developing that. They need to have that skill set. Number or Letter D, missionaries face strong opposition, which they must face head on. In verse 8 and 9, they met up with a false prophet. This false prophet was protecting his job and his influence over this government official, and he did everything he could to stop Paul from sharing the gospel. And then Paul had to confront him, and he called him as a false witness and said, how long are you going to stand between this man and, and, and Jesus. Then they, they met jealous Jews in verse 45. The Jews were jealous of the number of people. They counted people in their service versus the other service. And they said, they've got too many people. We're jealous. And now we're going to attack them. We're not going to go listen to them and find out what they're saying. We're going to attack them. So they, they faced jealous Jews. And in verse 50, they, they faced hostile Gentiles. Matter of fact, the hostile Gentiles literally, if you read it carefully, ran them out of town. It doesn't say how they ran them out of town, but they did run them out of town. So they, they didn't leave on their own free will, but they, they left. It says, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women in high standing and the, leader, the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. They, they kicked him out. So they had to face 
opposition, they stood up to each one, and eventually, E, persecution, can cause a missionary to leave one place for another. It doesn't have to cause it. Sometimes God says, put your feet down. We're going to take a stand here. Maybe you're even going to be martyred. Sometimes God says, no, don't move. But sometimes God takes you somewhere else. They were ran out of town, verse 51. And then F, the entire experience of a missionary brings about joy and Holy Spirit living. Service to God brings joy. That should be understood completely. That should be a common understanding. Service to God brings joy. Greater service will produce greater joy because it's a fruit of the Spirit. You can't enter into greater service without depending on the Holy Spirit more. As you depend on the Holy Spirit more, the more fruit shows itself, one of which is joy. So a missionary, if a missionary wants to say, hey, am I still called to do this? If, am I really doing what God wants me to do? They should check themselves and say, am I filled with joy? Do I get excited when I get to preach? Am, am, I, am I overwhelmed when, when someone accepts Christ? Am I, am I willing to stand up in dangerous places to proclaim the truth? Am, am I open to people not liking me, people saying things about me that aren't true? Am I willing to risk whatever the risks are so that I can proclaim the gospel and, and teach about Jesus? And if you if if you say answer those questions yes, then you're called. It, it's kind of a, a rear view look. Is this are, are these things happening? Yes, they are. Okay, this is a true calling. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and it brings them joy. So a missionary, and I hope you've been thinking about our missionaries. When the prayers are here, they're talking about their mission in Brazil. They're excited about it. They're happy about it. They got people they want us to meet, stories they want us to hear. They want to tell us about salvations and tell us about ideas and, and tell us about areas they're trying to get into and, and what groups of unsaved people they're able to reach through a camping ministry. We have the excitement of the Lowens trying to get to Saudi Arabia, trying to use their skills in order to reach a group of people that they can't just go be missionaries to, where he's going to have to go get a job. And use his job as a platform. The excitement there, the depending on God, willing to lose a job, willing to lose friends, willing to lose finances in order to go serve. So what's the application for today? Well, number one, missionaries are special people. This is a special calling. It's a special ministry. It's a They're called by God. So when we have missionaries in town... We should treat them like special people. Not because they're better than anyone else. They'll be the first to say, hey, we're just normal people that God's called to a special job. But in the calling, we should treat them as special people. We should be feeding them, lodging them. We should be encouraging them. We should be praying for them. We should be helping them with their finances. We should be letting them know that we're behind them. Okay? Missionaries are special people called to a special ministry by God. Number two, if you think that God might be calling you to a special ministry, so if you're hearing this and you're going, wow, this is really cool. That's what I am. I'm called to a special ministry. I feel the tug of God in my life. I want to serve Him in better and more exciting and greater ways. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Well, the first thing, get involved in the leadership and ministries of your church. If you're not involved in the leadership and the ministries of your church, you start with ministries and you grow into leadership. 
If you're not involved in those things, you are not called to be a missionary. And you are not called to be a pastor. A young person who's called to be a missionary will get involved in their ministries of their church and will become leaders before they're called out. Same for a pastor. You don't become leaders because you say, God called me to be a missionary. You grow into the mission field by being trained and by exercising your gifts and by serving God in the local church. Okay? Get involved in the leadership and ministry of your church and make sure it hurts when you leave. That's a little weird. Let me explain. When you leave, you should leave a gap. You should leave people sad because they will not experience your presence anymore. They should know ahead of time they're going to miss you. Ministries should have to figure out what to do while you're gone. Because you've grown up in leadership, you've been involved in ministry, and you're being called to something more, and you're moving in that direction, so you will leave holes behind that others need to fill. That's also the way they're going to grow. But it should hurt a little bit. People should not go, oh, phew, they're gone. I wondered how long God was going to make us deal with them. Right? It shouldn't be like, oh, well, I hope that works out well. It should be, wow, I can't believe you're leaving. This is, this is sad for us, but we're happy for you. How can we support you? How can we pray for you? Can we be your sending church? And we should be able to endorse them because they're involved in leadership and ministries of the church. Okay, and then three, if this narrative makes you wish you were there, perhaps you're being called. If this narrative makes you wish you were there, perhaps you're being called. I don't think there's an age requirement for mission work. You know, if you're a, a you know, retired and God puts on your heart to, to serve in missions, there's a lot of areas you can go serve. You have certain skill sets. And you think, I wonder if God can use this skill set. Well, I bet he can. Um, normally, we, we give the mission call to young people. Teenagers, are you called? Young adults, are you called? I think the hardest calling is a young family because they got to take their kids and transplant them and figure out how to educate them and, and raise the money to support them. The easier call is the single person, the, the young married couple without kids, and the retired person. Um, there's no age. There's There's... Really, there's no a lot. There's there's not a lot of limitations. Uh, the educated person can go serve in a ministry that requires education. The mechanical person can go serve in a in a ministry that's mechanical. I had some friends who served as missionaries to uh, friends of friends of new tribes, and his job was to work in a warehouse. He was a mechanic and and did a bunch all the warehouse stuff for missionaries. So they didn't have to spend their time packing boxes, loading crates, uh, working on cars, and this kind of stuff. And he was a support missionary. That's where his skill was. Did it for 20 years. So perhaps you're being called. I don't know if you're being called. But if you are being called, back the train up. Make sure you're serving. Make sure you're becoming a leader. Make sure you're exercising your gifts and you're gaining experience. Because those are the prerequisites for the calling. All right? And when someone does become a missionary or we meet a missionary, recognize them as special people, treat them that way, pray for them a little extra, and thank the Lord that he's called someone to do that. The, the mission boom is over, and, and God's going to have to call new missionaries out. 
I think one of the reasons the boom is over because it was too exciting to become a missionary and a lot of people went that shouldn't have gone. And God slowed it down. He says, let's just bring this back in. Let's get control. And let's send out a new group who are ready and do know what they're doing and are ready to serve. So, I don't know that, I'm guessing. But let's pray. Father, thank you for this chapter. It's a different chapter. It's a different approach. It's something brand new. There's things in here we haven't talked about before. Thank you that we have missionaries that fit the profile, who seem to have a true calling in their life to missions, who are not seeking any honor or glory or position, but are simply serving you where you've called them to be. Thank you that they exist and that, that we can support them. Help us to remember to pray for them. Help us to welcome them in when they arrive and, 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 and show them our love and, and dedication. Father, thank you that you still call missionaries. And I don't know if anyone from Heritage Bible Church will be called. Perhaps they will. Perhaps you're working on them. Perhaps they're not even saved yet. But Lord, when you call, prepare them to leave and prepare us to send them off. And it will hurt, but we'll rejoice. So Father, wh whatever the application is that the Holy Spirit has for our hearts today, plant it firmly and let it guide us in our thinking and in our service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.